has been incredibly helpful for me in processing some of my thinking. Um, so I hope it will be helpful for you as well. Um, so I'm Harmony, by the way, and um, my husband and I lead the vineyard in Belfast, and we oversee the churches, the vineyard churches in Ireland. And then I'm also in my spare time the director of worship for the vineyard. Um, and I suppose it's in that capacity that I'm here today. Um, and I would love to know in this room who we have got with us. So how many of you here are senior pastors? Oh, there's a few of you brave souls coming into this room. Well done. Um, and how many of you here are worship leaders? Most of the room, yeah. Good. And I prophetically discerned that that was going to be the case. Um, and how many of you are not necessarily, you wouldn't consider yourself uh, a worship leader, but you're a musician? Oh, awesome. Cool. Very good. How many of you are something else that I haven't named? All right. <laughs> Great. Many other things. Wonderful. Um, we've already started late, so I, don't, I could get easily get on a rabbit trail here and try and work out what everyone is here to do. How about, like, do you do any visual, how about visual artists? No? Visual artists? A couple. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, well, you're so welcome. I would love to begin by, firstly, those, especially those of you that are serving in the area of worship or pastoring your worship ministry, I want to say thank you, firstly, because as a pastor and a worship leader, I know the blood, sweat, and tears that go into this thing, and I'm really grateful for people that get up Sunday after Sunday and do what you guys do, so um, give me a nod or something so I can tell that you've received that. I really do mean that. I don't know how to communicate that. I don't have like a, I don't want to shout or something, but I really mean that. <laughs> I'm really grateful. Um, the vineyard wouldn't be the vineyard without worship, in my opinion, and uh, we wouldn't have worship without worship leaders. And um, so I'm really grateful for you guys. Um, so today, I don't know what you made of the introductory remarks and the title of this seminar, but today we want to unpack this thing that we do from Sunday to Sunday. And um, what is worship? What makes worship vineyard worship? Those are some of my questions. So. is that this seminar will springboard for some of you some new things that the Lord might want to do in worship. And as Debbie has said, now is the time. What does that look like for us in worship? I kind of get chills when I think about that. Now is the time. So I'm also, in this season, fielding quite a few questions um, from worship leaders and pastors, and hopefully in this seminar we'll address least maybe scratch the surface on some of the questions um, that worship leaders are asking me about. So what we won't have time to do is to get into all of the how-to and all of the detail, but what I want to say to you is that we have a movement rich with wise, experienced people that can come alongside us and help us as we journey. So if you need help, we would love to put you in touch with someone that could coach you or walk through some of this with you for your particular circumstances. So some of you have reached out already, and that's been really great, but sometimes we can feel like, oh, I don't want to bother them, they're so busy. Um, do you know what, that's what we're here to do. We're here to help and support you guys and what you're doing. So if, if we can help, we would love to. All right, if we 
Got that as well? Yeah? Okay, so those are the introductory remarks. Get ready. I have about 30 pages here. I've pulled it back as far as I can, but it might be like drinking from a fire hose. I hope not, but we'll see. Um, so let's talk about this thing of vineyard liturgy. Yes, the vineyard has a liturgy. And if you're not sure about that, you've come to the right seminar. Liturgy simply means the work of the people. Our liturgy, the work of the vineyard people, takes the form of a worship set. Right? This worship set is composed of generally, <coughs> on average, five songs. And I think there's a slide. Okay, this is the distilled down version of the phases of the heart that Wimber would have written about, that hopefully you're familiar with. Dan Wilt, my friend and very wise worship leader, has distilled it down to this. Um, and if your worship set doesn't look exactly like this, don't panic, okay? This is, I'm talking on average. The opening gathering song, we invite people in. Um, the revelation song, or song about who God is, is really what I mean. I don't mean like revelation song, you know, glory be is, that, that one. No, we don't sing that one every week, that's not our liturgy. Although if you're going to sing one every week, that's not a bad one. But, um, so we generally have a couple of songs that are more upbeat and celebratory about who God is, and then we move into a time of response. Um, and if you have never used this as a teaching tool with your worship leaders, it's a great way, because it can feel like kind of a mystery. What on earth are we doing in this magical half hour? It's a great way to break it down and help younger worship leaders understand what, set, what way to arrange a set, rather than going, nope, that wasn't it, nope, that still wasn't it, nope, keep trying. Let's give them some framework to work with. Um, particularly us pastors can be like, oh my word, what was going on with that set list? Well, we could, we could do with some help sometimes as worship leaders, bless you. Um, and, um, and then, so we, we do this, we start off our worship set with prayer generally, we finish with prayer, and occasionally in the middle sometimes we might have a reading or a prophetic word or um, some musical space or something else might happen. Typically, this portion of some worship is at the start of a service, and it's about 30 minutes long, right? Does that sound familiar? Either for your church or maybe another vineyard church that you've been to? Probably it does, would be my guess. We have a liturgy, folks. That's what we do. Um, so I remember back we, uh, maybe like eight years ago or so, we had some vineyard people from another country come to visit, visit our service. And after the service, I was questioned, I think is the right word. It wasn't quite an interrogation, but I was questioned as to the vineyardness of our service. Um, why? Because our worship leader had prayed in the middle of the set. During the worship set, the worship leader had opened their mouth and was not singing. Um, our visitors liked it but they weren't sure it was a vineyard. So this interaction left me kind of scratching my head. I was puzzled because what the worship leader had done that morning had worked really well. Actually, it had helped people engage in worshiping God. So I was left feeling like there was a right way to do vineyard worship, and that wasn't it. So the fact that we have people saying that there is something that is vineyard or isn't vineyard tells me that we probably have a fairly defined liturgy. Maybe we never thought we'd be the kind of people who brace, brace ourselves, argue about the color of the carpet, or 
whether it's okay to move the pulpit. Um, but for me, that was kind of one of those moments. <coughs> Here's the thing, our liturgy, before you think I'm being negative, our liturgy has served us really well. And all we have to do is look around the wider church. This is the form that most people, most other strings and denominations have adopted. And yet, as this story illustrates, we also, too, can become a little entrenched in our viewpoints. And we can miss opportunities to respond to what the Lord might be doing. We can also, at times, lack the kind of confidence that Debbie was inviting us into on Tuesday night. Confidence in what we carry. And my hope is that some of what we talk about today will help us come into an agreement. I love this bit. Will help us come into an agreement about what we carry and to step into it with greater confidence. Wouldn't that be amazing? That sounds like a lot of fun to me. Um, now is the time, and we really desperately want this time to be marked by visitation of the Lord in our times of worship. And I know that's your heart, or else you wouldn't be sitting here. That is our deepest desire, is that um, people would encounter God, and that um, he would be very real amongst us and that even people outside of the church would know this is God. Um, so let's dig a little deeper into our liturgy. Let's talk about it in this way, all right? Um, the story, and we'll talk a bit about values in the story, the story, the songs, and the spaces. Isn't it wonderful that they all start with S? I have a master. <laughs> so first things first, our story. What is the story behind our liturgy? This is very important. And then where are we headed? If we want to understand our liturgy, we have to look at how we got here. And how we got here is that a bunch of broken people and hippies started to seek after Jesus. They began to encounter him through simple songs played on a guitar. We need to remember that this was unheard of that time in the traditional church, what was happening in terms of the types of songs that they were singing, the types of instruments that they were using, types of people that they were gathering, is simply not the dumb thing. I think in my generation and younger, we can take that for granted because it's all we've ever known. But departing from the organ was absolutely unthinkable. Stringing a half an hour or so of songs together, this liturgy that I was just describing to you, without interruptions, was groundbreaking. You see why that, that person that talked to me might have been a bit offended? That was a big deal, that they got to worship without all the, all the introduction, interruptions. Um, and the introduction of drums and other crazy instruments like that was deemed to be of the devil in some cases. And I know because my parents had a book on their bookshelf that was essentially drums are of the devil, um, particularly in worship. Um, so, yeah, so obviously I didn't agree with them because I joined the vineyard. Um, but rather than talking about a period of history I wasn't a part of, I know I look old, but I'm not that old. And uh, let's hear from John Lindbergh himself. I would love to read from the article that I was referring to earlier, The Phases of the Heart, and it will come up on the screen as well, I think. Thank you, Ash. Um, if you haven't got hold of this article, you need, to, you need to. I'm just gonna read a little bit of it, but the whole thing is great. Many people who visit Vineyard Christian Fellowships remark on the depth and the richness of our worship. 
This has not come about by chance. We have a well-thought-out philosophy that guides why and how we worship God. In this article, I will communicate that philosophy. To understand how we worship God, it is helpful to learn about our fellowship's history, which goes back to 1977. At that time, my wife Carol was leading a small group of people in a home meeting that evolved into Anaheim Vineyard. I'll let her describe what happened during that time. We began to worship with nothing but a sense of calling from the Lord into deeper relationship with Him. Before we started meeting in a small home church setting in 1977, the Holy Spirit had been working in my heart, creating a tremendous hunger for God. One day I was praying, and the word worship appeared in my mind like a newspaper headline. I never so much thought about this word before. As an evangelical Christian, I had always assumed the entire Sunday morning gathering was worship. And in a sense, I was correct. But in a different sense, there were particular elements of the service that were especially devoted to worship and not to teaching, announcements, musical presentations, and all the other activities that are part of a typical Sunday morning gathering. I had to admit that I wasn't sure which part of the service was supposed to be worship. After we started to meet in our home gathering, I noticed times during the meeting, usually when we sang, in which I experienced God deeply. We sang many songs, but mostly songs about worship or testimonies from one Christian to another. But occasionally, we sang a song personally and intimately to Jesus with lyrics like, Jesus, I love you. Those types of songs both stirred and fed the hunger for God within me. About this time, I began asking our worship leader why some songs seemed to spark something in us and others didn't. As we talked about worship, we realized that often we would sing about worship, yet we never actually worshipped. Except when we accidentally stumbled onto intimate songs like, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. Thus, we began to see a difference between the songs about Jesus and the songs through Jesus. Isn't that so rich? It is so rich. As we've just read, one of the hallmarks of the vineyard is actually singing to Jesus and not just about him. People could actually really connect with the simplicity of the language and the familiarity of the musical style. The songs were vehicles, bridges to intimacy with Jesus we can take for granted or just simply in our youth be unaware of the power of, of, of that and the journey that they went on to get there. But notice something else, and this piece is one that often, in my view, can become overlooked. The personal, the secret place of worship. This is what Carol says next in her article. Now, during this time when we were stumbling around corporately in worship, Many of us were also worshiping at home alone. During these solitary times, we were not necessarily singing, but we were bowing down, kneeling, lifting hands, and praying spontaneously in the spirit, sometimes with spoken prayers, sometimes with non-verbalized prayers, and even prayers without words at all. We noticed that as our individual worship life deepened, when we came together, there was a greater hunger toward God. So we learned that what happens when we are alone with the Lord determines how intimate and how deep the worship will be when we come together. This is it. If you don't remember anything else from today, remember this. When you lifted the bonnet, this is what was underneath. Personal worship, a personal liturgy, rhythms of worship that 
fueled and fed those corporate gatherings. Oftentimes we are asking a Sunday morning to do it all, and it can't. And it didn't in the renewal days, and it's not going to now. So what about our story is important for 2019, I've been asking myself. Here are a couple of thoughts on what to bring with us into this next chapter. First, it has always been about the presence of God. It's always been about that. The form that our worship is taken in the vineyard was designed, John Wimber referred to it as his philosophy, it was designed to facilitate encounters with him. They experimented until they, they figured out how to facilitate those encounters. Our worship forerunners created a new liturgical form, not out of a desire to innovate, although they were innovators, but a desire to meet with Jesus. Do we still have that same hunger for intimacy with Jesus? I wonder sometimes, do we, do I worship worship, or do I worship Jesus? We'll talk more about intimacy as we go throughout this talk. Those of you that know me, that's kind of the only thing I really ever talk about. I tried to do something different this time, folks, I promise. It just it wasn't coming. Um, all roads point back to that. Um, so the second point I think that is important for us to consider in 2019 is that we began as a renewal movement. And my question has been, what are we today? I came to the vineyard. Personally, I came from a denomination that was rich in, in teaching the, the scriptures. I even knew words like ecclesiology and hermeneutics, and um, that's probably not the case for most people coming to our churches in the vineyard today. And so, what we sing, and what the story that we tell needs to bear that in mind. There's a move in some parts of the vineyard, particularly in the U.S., towards Maybe what we traditionally think of as liturgical, scripture readings, more frequent use of the Lord's Supper, litanies. Um, and I've been asking myself, have we gotten bored with some worship? Is that why we're doing that? And maybe in some cases. Um, but I also think that that move points towards a growing awareness that we're not just a renewal movement anymore. When I joined the vineyard, the vineyard was adding spirit the truth that was already inside of me from the church that I come from. But in 2019, we're likely to be it. We are the church, the spirit and the truth. And we are raising children who are growing up in the vineyard. And I think that's important for us to consider. And so we're recognizing and rightly so, the story that we sing on a Sunday morning must not just take into account the legacy and the DNA values of the vineyard, but also the biblical narrative, the story of the church. And I think it's important and wonderful that my kids know who John Wimber is, but I am embarrassed. My kids know John Wimber, but they don't know the books of the Bible. And I found that really shocking. Um, so, as planners and curators of our worship liturgy, we must be asking ourselves, what is our worship forming in our people? What is it forming in our people? Are our people encountering Jesus and then growing as disciples in him? The third thing that I think we need to take with us in 2019 
is our values. And if you don't have those just at the forefront of your mind, we'll throw them up here for you. Intimacy, accessibility, integrity, kingdom expectation, passion, that's the UK and Ireland edition. You know, we're all vineyard family, but our expressions might be slightly different. So John and Debbie added that one in, and I think actually we are marked by passion. But anyway, uh, I want to put in a quick plug here. Jesse Dooley, who was talking about our worship intensives, is currently writing a booklet on the values, and it's going to be amazing. So there's more to come on that. We want to help uh, journey that. And also, you can come to one of the worship intensives, because we talk a lot and explore and pick apart and um, wrestle with our values there. Um, but the reason why, I think, for me, it's really helpful to talk about the values and our story together is this. I don't think our vineyard forerunners, I don't know what to call them, who are these vineyard people that went before us, worship leaders, pastors, all of them who helped to create the liturgy that we now know and, and enjoy, they didn't set out to find this word intimacy. Stuff happened, and they had to put a word to it. That's what I gather. And... Um, it's not the value that they chased after, it was Jesus. He was the end, the value was not the end. So they didn't immediately have a worship philosophy. Maybe you got that sense in the article that um, this is our philosophy, but actually here's how we got there. They developed it as they went along. And one of the key reasons why they needed to put language to it is because it was working. And people were like, what is that? What are you doing? How, how do you do that? Um, so they had to figure out what to call it. Our story and our values are incredibly important as we look towards the liturgy of the future. Because if we focus only on our form, whatever we think that is, whether you think it looks like what I put on the screen or something else, but if we focus only on the form, we can become entrenched in what vineyard worship is and isn't, as I found out that day. But we actually have a great deal of flexibility within our values. We can innovate. We don't have to get locked into a form. And if we did, we might miss opportunities to see people encounter God in worship. Let me give you an example of what I mean. I've been asked quite a few times by people, maybe some of you in this room, is it okay to move the worship to the end of our service? Yeah, sharp intake of breath. <gasps> is that vineyard? <laughs> um, so I've been a little bit surprised that this keeps coming up. Um, and it sounds a little bit in these situations like you're describing a case, a serious case of a liturgy that has gotten stuck in a rut, that is constricted rather than liberated. So let me tell you, in our church in Belfast, we've had probably two separate seasons where we actually did this. We did the bold and dangerous thing um, of moving our worship to the end of our service. And personally, I really like to start with worship. That's my preference. Part of it is just how I'm wired. Part of it is that I love everybody joining in from the start. Uh, I love the joining in part where we all get to do something together. And I like the challenge of setting an atmosphere and seeing what God is doing, rather than simply responding to an atmosphere that someone else has already carved out through a really wonderful talk. But anyway, um, now you're getting a window into some of my issues. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I like worship at the start. So guess what the biggest obstacle to making this change was? It was me. I had to change. I had to put my preference to the side. And it 
was absolutely, in both circumstances, the right thing to do for our community. How did I know that? Mainly because intimacy and worship increased exponentially. People engaged and participated way more. Their encounters with the Lord deepened. It was visible to everyone. It was unlocking worship for people right across the room. People that hadn't got what it was all about were suddenly getting it. Oh my goodness, am I glad that my preference didn't get in the way of messing with our form. Um, perhaps this sounds a little bit utilitarian, but innovators can be a bit like that sometimes. But if what we're doing isn't working, if our church isn't worshiping and growing in worship, then it would be crazy not to make some adjustments, in my opinion. And the beauty of the beard is that we can. I was talking to a Methodist minister the other day, and he just looked at me and he said, I wish we could change our worship. I wish, but I can't. We can. Isn't that wonderful? We can. Early vineyard worship was experimental and risky. It was criticized and mocked by many. They, had, they made radical decisions, again, not for the sake of making radical decisions and being cool, but for making room for more of Jesus. Are we willing to move some things around to make some decisions Maybe ones that we're uncomfortable with in order to make more room for Jesus. So as I wrap up this section on our story and our values, perhaps that is the question to take away with us. Is there anything that we need to move out of the way? It's a great question for us personally as well. Is there anything that we need to add in in order to make more room for Jesus in our worship times? Okay, next one, the songs. What songs are we singing? And why are we choosing them? Seeing that our liturgy is made up of songs, as I just demonstrated, we need to spend some time talking about our songs. When I first met the vineyard, I was undone in the worship, completely destroyed, a blubbering mess. How many of you was that your experience as well? I mean, there weren't enough boxes of tissue from week to week to cope with what was happening with me. Um, I was completely undone in worship by Jesus. But the songs took me by the hand and led me there. We need songs that will lead us to Jesus. We need more than well-crafted songs. And that's good. I'm not saying we shouldn't develop our craft. Jimmy would start throwing things at me if I did, but and we absolutely need to develop our craft. However, you understand what I'm saying, right? We need more than just well-written songs. Our songs should cause us to desire Jesus so much more. Our songs should awaken something in us in the deepest place for more of him. Our songs should offer us the opportunity to do what Christians for centuries have done, and that is to give our adoration, our thanksgiving, and even our confession back to the Lord in worship. There are so many songs right now that place me at the center. It wasn't singing about me that saved me, <laughs> and it wasn't singing, it's not singing about me that's going to save the next generation either. I have loved how Jesus-centered the worship of this conference has been. Is Dave in the room? I mean, it has just been tremendous, hasn't it? I've, been, I've only arrived today due to childcare things, and I've even, last night, I was on, on, you know, on the live stream, and I was just getting completely 
destroyed. And, um, it's just so, it's been so wonderful. But I digress. Brian Dirksen says, do you know who Brian Dirksen is? Yeah, a lot of our, our Vineyard Legacy Greatest Hits songs are Brian Dirksen songs. It's pretty important in our song catalog. But he says that our songs are the most important thing that we offer the world. Now, I'm a pastor too, I'm not just a songwriter, so I'm not sure I 100% agree with him, okay? Because um, I think the people who write the songs and the people who sing the songs are pretty important too. Um, and actually, I think the presence of Jesus is the most important thing. Um, but I love that there are people like Brian who are so convinced of this fact, and um, I, I love being around him for that reason. So if we agree that our songs are powerful vehicles, then how do we go about choosing the right ones for us in our community, especially as we are flooded with worship songs? How do we know what to pick? It is a lot harder than it looks. Do we choose songs because we like how we feel when we listen to them? Do we choose songs because they are popular and everyone else is singing them? Um, what does it mean to be a vineyard church? Should we be singing vineyard songs? Those are some of the questions that are coming my way. Um, I just think it's way harder than it looks in this season to actually uh, even find the time to listen to all these songs. And it can be quite overwhelming. It requires a great deal of discernment to work out which ones to use. Um, I would encourage us to consider the macro and the micro on this, okay? So on a given Sunday, how does this song work in a set list? And what is God doing on a given Sunday? Absolutely, we need to be asking that question and uh, working together with others in our leadership to discern that. On the macro level, what will sing this song over and over again over years, or months at least, or in our church, we sing a song usually at least for a month. Um, but what will that produce in our people? What will that form? And it might be there are several songs that say this sim a similar thing, but one of them is going to be more true to our theology and our values, or one of them is going to be bearing better fruit on the macro level, the long-term formation of our people. I understand why we would choose songs that attract younger people and a younger generation. And accessibility absolutely is one of our key values. However, I think, um, I just would love to talk a little bit about one of the songs that we're doing at this conference called All Things Rise. You know which one I'm talking about? I love the richness of the lyrics in that song. It's not an immediate Bam, everybody gets it. The other thing that that song doesn't have is that rush of the bridge that's like 16 octaves higher and we all go to this place where we nearly feel like we're gonna explode. Um, and it doesn't have that. And there's something about the discipline of that. What is that forming? So we've watched that song form something incredibly powerful in our community over time already. Dave, how long have we been singing that? Maybe two years? No, a year? I don't know, but it doesn't feel like, it, doesn't, it feels like we just started singing, we could sing it every week, we just don't get, well there's Andy and I don't get tired of it. Um, also it's great sometimes to just sing songs your pastor likes, but anyway, um, we'll shout out to the pastors. But um, that song with that line about love's occupation, the sewing and weakness, 
What does that form over the long haul? Saying that over and over again, I think it's powerful. And if we don't have any songs like that in our liturgy, in our song database, that are not necessarily cutting edge and cool, then I'm a little bit worried about the process, the philosophy behind our song choices, and therefore our liturgy. Perhaps an example might be helpful here as well. And forgive me if this ruffles a few feathers. Neither of these songs are vineyard songs, so I hope I'm in safe territory. This is your favorite song, and I'm going to offend you. I'm really sorry. Um, but it's a really good example. So I have, and I might get something thrown at me now, I've never once chosen to lead King of My Heart. And I won't put it in a worship set. And here's why. We have a band that other worship leaders sing it, right? So this isn't like some kind of edict. This is my own personal conviction. I'm not too sure about you, what you're never going to let me down is going to form compared to, and this is why I'm saying, there might be a better song. For me, a song that says this better is um, it's Aaron Keyes' Sovereign Over Us, and the bridge goes like this. Um, Even what the enemy means for evil, you turn it for our good. You're working for our good and for your glory. That piece is really important to me for the, the long term, the formation of our people. I want to raise up a, a generation of worshipers who are going to be resilient and have courage in the face of difficult things and who will be prepared to do whatever they need to do, whatever Jesus asks him to do for his glory. Is that a helpful analogy? Again, I'm really sorry. I don't mean to say that that's a bad song. And so we might have convictions like that, and maybe I've given you permission to have them as well. Now the hot potato of vineyard songs, okay? Over and over again I'm asked about singing vineyard songs. And I've said to some people, very cheekily and jokingly, that this is my seminar where I'm going to try and sell the vineyard songs back to the vineyard. Um, I'm actually not trying to sell anything to anyone, okay? Um, and if you know me, you know that that is not my heart. Um, from what I can gather, now, this isn't scientific research, but from what I can gather, if I had to guess, most of our vineyard churches in the UK and Ireland would have one or no vineyard songs in their average monthly, in their weekly set. Um, there are a few vineyard churches that break the mold and probably sing only vineyard songs, um, but these guys are the exception rather than the rule. Does this matter? I have been asking myself. Is this some kind of rabbit trail? You know, is this an insecurity in us? So here's the thing: I'm not concerned about having profile in the world of worship, about selling albums and making money. I'm not losing sleep at night about making the vineyard great again. Um, but when when I came to the vineyard, people kept saying to me, they kept talking about the songs that God had given us. Well, has he stopped giving songs or have we stopped singing them? I'm not really too sure. What if the vineyard sang her songs again? Yes. 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 Suze is up for it. What if we what if we believed and came into agreement with God that we carry something in our songs? <coughs> People are agreeing. That's good. That's good. Um, 
absolutely not saying that we should only sing vineyard songs. That would be cultish <laughs> and weird and arrogant. I am saying that we still have something to say. And there are very good reasons to sing our own songs. Our songs are one way that we express our own story, what we value, what we love and believe in, our theology with our own words. I'm talking about the songs written in our local churches, in our tribe on these islands and across the waters, All Things Rise was written in Kentucky. Uh, I am talking about vineyard songs that are new and vineyard songs that are put down what we call legacy songs. And if you have noticed, certainly in the live stream in my living room, the legacy songs are unlocking some stuff at this conference. And I think it would be good to pay attention to that. I don't believe that every vineyard song ever written should still be sung today. I'm also aware that, <laughs> I won't name any names, I'm also aware that songs have spheres and influences and some songs are for the local and some songs are for the regional, some songs are national. And I believe that all songs have their place and we need all of them. But one question I'm getting a lot is about intimacy and worship. And so again, why not try our legacy songs? Did you see what happened when we sang Arms of Love? Certainly in my living room, it was amazing. And Holy and Anointed one last night. And one could make the case that it is even more relevant and pertinent than ever to sing, sing simple love songs to Jesus in a marketplace full of songs that full of octave jumps and 13 tags, etc., where people actually struggle to sing along. Here's another reason why we need to keep writing. Our churches need writers who have broken sweat over how to get a piece of vineyard theology into a lyric. Our churches need worship leaders who have wrestled with what we are singing, who have participated in the process of creating rather than simply consuming. And that process itself formation in our worship leaders and our musicians is one reason why we should never ever take our foot off of the pedal of songwriting. We cannot afford to stop wrestling. It seems to me that what is required in this season are courageous writers who don't care about being known or famous, although that's great, and I certainly think that there are some songwriters in this room that are and will be known and, and um, I don't know about famous, but they will be known. Um, so I'm not taking a dig at that, but we need writers who will humbly develop their craft of writing and pastors and churches who will be gracious and generous enough to let some of those songs see the light of day. I'm not saying, pastors, that we should sing bad songs, but your community's worship will be richer and more powerful with a liturgy that includes songs from and for your own community. I recently put out a list of top 10 vineyard songs and I will be creating this periodically. Why to put them on our radar? We don't have the massive engine of marketing like some other people do, but I'm going to champion our songs and our writers because I really believe in them. And um, I would love to just let you know what songs are working and I'd love for you to let me know what songs are working. But would you consider trying one of those songs off of that list? And we'll, we'll put it out again on social media after this conference so that we can refresh your memories. But um, I would love for us just to give it a go again. 
And lastly, on the point of songs, here are three concerns that I have about where we are headed in worship, both in the vineyard and the probably the Western church. I don't think that I can speak for anyone else, but perhaps this is about our songs as well as how we arrange them and how we craft them into our liturgy. I am troubled by the homogenization of worship, and so is Suze, and if you want to really get the full blast on this, talk to her. Um, but I see cookie cutter. I see one church trying to be like the other little <coughs> church down the road or uh, across the globe, and it grieves me that so many countries around the world are singing in English when that isn't their mother tongue. And so many worship leaders are trying to be like or sound like someone else. In the early days of the vineyard, we were a big fish in a very small music pond, worship music pond, but times have changed. It's now a big pond, and we are a small fish. And so it would be quite easy at this point to sit back and let others do the writing of the songs. We could do what is easiest and most convenient and simply consume what other amazing writers have written. I still think that we have something to say and it matters because of that cookie cutter thing. And it might be okay if we sound a little different than somebody else and what is being sung elsewhere. Another thing that concerns me, production versus participation. I am deeply concerned about the lack of participation in worship. Worship is not a spectator sport, and I'm not talking about this conference, okay? Nothing that I'm saying here is in any way about what we're seeing at this conference. But um, I, am, I am concerned. Are we choosing songs that people can participate in? Are we writing songs that people can participate in? I've been listening to so much old school vineyard music in preparation for this, and a couple of massive things stood out to me. One, the songs were in very singable keys. There were no octave jumps and massive ranges. There were, yes, most of us women are like, come on, we need some more of that. And there are so many songs that I, as a female worship leader, can't lead, and I can't put into my set. Why? Because of the range. And I'm just not okay with that. Um, so, um, yeah, the song form itself is also very simple in a lot of these songs. And what I'm saying is people could sing along. They could join in very easily. And at times now, I'm not too sure whether that's always the case. Um, what I'm not saying, Abby was like, you need to be sure and make sure that everyone knows that you're not saying that we shouldn't, that we should like revert back to 1984. I really don't think that. I listened to some of those songs. I definitely don't want to go back there. Um, and uh, and I, I really do think that we need to celebrate and that at times we do need to, you know, do the octave jump and we need to dance around and we need to do all that, pull out all the stops, get the three electric guitars. I'm not saying we shouldn't ever do that. Again, I'm talking the macro, the big picture, what is being formed in our people. It's about keeping the presence of God and the participation of the people in the presence of God at the center. So a couple of years ago, I, I did a very brief talk on worship um, at this conference, and then we just worshiped together. I was on the piano. Here's what happened. I couldn't hear what I was playing or singing because the people were singing so loud. <laughs> and in that moment, just the Holy Spirit got me. I was like, do you remember what it's like? Do you remember what it's like? And I was like, I haven't heard people singing like that for a long time, and it's so powerful. And in those early days, you hear, even on the recordings, you hear the people singing. And it just feels like worship. I don't know what else to say. It feels like worship. It doesn't feel like spectating. It doesn't feel like performance. 
And you need to know that I don't think that production and excellence um, are dirty words, but they definitely can distract from the heart of worship, and that's what I want us to be mindful of. And even though our production is of a higher quality than it's ever been before, here's the thing, people are coming to church less. The decline in church attendance is staggering. One in four Sundays is the average in our part of the world. This says to me that something probably isn't working. Our worship is more sophisticated than ever. Our songs, we have more of them, and they're, you know, there's just a lot there, and at times there wasn't, and yet people are voting with their feet. They're not showing up every Sunday anymore. Jason Clark has a brilliant article on this. Go to his website or social media, um, and it's very blunt. One of the things he says is he reminds us that Christians gather together regularly in times of persecution and tribulation, but today we don't get out of bed for church because we're too tired. <laughs> Ouch! That's so true, isn't it? Last week when I was listening to um, this, the worship from our, our vineyard forerunners, there's a worship leader called Eddie Espinosa, who, um, okay, a lot of you know him, but if you don't, he was a very um, uh, important worship leader in our history. And I was listening to a live set, and it was, it was wonderful. But the thing that was really interesting to me was all the comments underneath the, the, the YouTube. Um, and people were saying, we used to drive 100 miles to get to Anaheim Vineyard. We used to drive 80 miles to get to Anaheim Vineyard. People don't do that anymore. They don't even drive 10 miles, never mind 100. What I don't think is helpful in this conversation, before some of us who are high achievers go there, what is not helpful is to stack up more pressure because of this onto the worship leaders and the pastors and say, we need to generate a good enough show so all of these people who have formed habits of not getting out of bed all of a sudden change those habits and decide to come and worship with us, that is not helpful. It also is not helpful to say these people in this generation are apathetic and lazy and couldn't be bothered and to judge them for it. What does the revival Debbie spoke about mean in terms of worship? What might it look like? What might God want to do? I just think, I know he's looking for participants both on stage and off. How do we build those kind of bridges for participation? The kind that fuel a hunger for worship. I'm just going to pray for a moment if that's okay. So, Holy Spirit, right now in this moment we want to participate with you. We are participants. We are hungry, and our communities are hungry. Would you increase our hunger? And I pray that that spirit of innovation, that willingness to move things out of the way, to fall on this room today, that we would do whatever it takes to make room for you, Jesus. And that it would start in our secret place with you, start in our personal liturgy. Ask for your help, Holy Spirit, that we could firstly participate with you in that space. 
to what my ideas and things that the Holy Spirit might drop into your into your mind what words might <coughs> give you to other people as well there are actually ideas and strategies and some of them are going to be for you how do you personally participate in that intimacy with Jesus in a new and fresh way for this season and my sense is he is doing it What do I mean by spaces? I don't want you to come away going, what on earth is that? She left a space in the spaces. Um, but here's the thing. What has marked our movement from the very beginning has always been space for the Holy Spirit to move. A vineyard worship leader arrives with that set list or another variation of that form, but anything might happen. Anything can happen. It's those beyond between song moments that allow our communities to really know that God is with us. And there is that spontaneous song or prophetic word. And even last night when they started to sing about the darkness thing, well, there was a crazy thing that happened in my house just an hour before that where my son told me that his friend's dad had been brutally murdered. Um, and then the worship came on and it was all about the darkness thing. It was like I could see it lift out of our house. It was crazy. I was talking to Dave. I don't think that that was planned. That was just God meeting us in that moment. Um, it might be a prophetic word. It might be that we wait on the Lord. It might be that we dance. Um, um, I don't know what it's like in your church, but in our community, those are the things that people remember. Those are the moments that they still talk about. When God broke in, when he interrupted our liturgy, when we together become aware of his presence in a more tangible way. I believe that this is part of our liturgy, and we need to think of it as that. And if, in fact, it is a part of our liturgy, then how are we training for it? A skilled musician spends many years becoming proficient on their instrument. What does it look like to become proficient in following the leading of the Holy Spirit in our times of worship? And many of you are asking questions about this, and that tells me that you're on the right track. In my view, one thing that has been really unhelpful in this regard is that when we go into YouTube, those spontaneous moments look far too perfect and slick. Uh, they look seamless. And this makes the average worship leader like me think, oh, I couldn't do that. I think we need to become far more comfortable with risk. And risk looks messy. It just does. I think a lot of what we see on YouTube is rehearsed in some way, shape, or form, and, um, and we shouldn't be put off by that. It, and if we are sick, great, but I'm rarely slick, and somehow God still does stuff, so. Um, 
It is my experience that as a worshiper and a pastor that these spaces, these moments can be easily missed, but they can also be easily seized. So let's be the kind of worship leaders who seize those moments and step into them with courage and with confidence. A few nights ago I had a dream, and in that dream a number of us people in this room were gathered in a lovely room with a beautiful baby grand piano. It was so wonderful. I was so happy we were having this wonderful moment. All of a sudden, it's like in the dream I'm outside of myself looking at myself. This other self that was me stands up and starts shouting, more, 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 and completely interrupted the moment. It was just, I was like, oh, what are you doing? Um, it was not a comfortable moment at all. It felt like an interruption. But we are wonderfully positioned in the vineyard to be interrupted, to reach for more. And we can do this with great humility and integrity. We can allow these moments to be just what they are. We don't need to dress them up or flaunt them or build an identity around them. They don't have to become the focus. We don't have to become the focus. But let's not simply string songs together and neglect the spaces. Let's seize those moments. Let's make room for Jesus. He might not push us out of the way. We might need to get out of the way. We need to make room for the inbreaking of the kingdom. So here's where we'll wrap up because I think we're probably out of time. The stewardship of our, what is it, it's under two minutes, okay. The stewardship of our legacy and ongoing story in the vineyard, the crafting of our wonderful songs, the stewardship of those spaces is a sacred and beautiful assignment to use Debbie's word again. It is such an honor and such a privilege. Let's not forget the great honor and the privilege that it is.